The Sermon on the Mount. Though it was delivered on the side of a hill one day in Israel, its power, truth, and simplicity have pierced through every century since. His divinely inspired words are not only timeless, they are timely for us. We hope you will join us as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Welcome to Redeemer. Super glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to open to Matthew chapter 5. If you are new to Redeemer, uh, normally we just uh, will choose a uh, book of the Bible and walk through that book and preach from beginning to end. Uh, I think that's probably the healthiest thing for a church to do uh, most of the time. Not all the time. We'll take some uh, breaks here and there to hit certain topics or ideas or things that are very timely uh, in our culture or in our city or in our lives. But just as a steady diet, it's a very good thing to just walk through books of the Bible. And to, uh, this uh, season we're in right now, uh, we're walking through a, a sermon, uh, a sermon that Jesus gave uh, when he was on earth. And we just get to kind of peer back uh, behind the scenes a little bit and truly understand a lot of Jesus's heart towards especially his disciples or people who have embraced the gospel and are following him. Uh, so if you're a Christian in the room, this is a little bit of Jesus's heart towards you. And, and you know this if you've been around these last two weeks. He just starts with blessing. Uh, I, I think if you were to follow Jesus around for three and a half years during his ministry uh, and hear all of his different sermons, he had a wide array of sermons. Uh, I'm sure his attitude was very different during those sermons. His emotional uh, state was different during those sermons because different times he's preaching to different people uh, that needed to hear different things. Uh, sometimes you get very angry Jesus, right? I mean, he is very clear, will not mince words, will preach in a way that's going to get him crucified, and it did. Uh, but sometimes, and I think this is one of those cases, especially the beginning of this, I just, I get this sense that Jesus is preaching with a smile on his face because he is preaching and declaring and explaining blessings over people that belong to him. And I imagine as we walk through these next couple weeks of blessings or beatitudes, attitudes. Uh, I, I tried to envision Jesus as he was preaching, looking out over the crowd, uh, maybe some people that he knew, young, old, uh, all sorts of different backgrounds and educations and uh, financial levels uh, and understanding their story. And yet these people that he was preaching to, uh, they were his followers. They had, they had chosen to uh, give up everything, to embrace him as their savior, uh, to enjoy the grace he has given them. And uh, I just feel like he was smiling as he was preaching these blessings over them. So uh, we began uh, Matthew chapter 5 walking through that. The first one uh, that Jesus declares is blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who uh, realize we, our, our bank account spiritually is empty. Uh, we're poor. And so we come to God uh, needing everything, offering nothing. And he says, if that's you, if you've ever come to God and said, I just, I just need you to fix me. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I don't bring anything. I need everything. Then Jesus says, Blessed. blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those who mourn, uh, talking about mourning over um, the brokenness that's in our world, the brokenness that's in our heart, the effects of sin and what it's done, mainly with our relationship between us and God, but then all of the chaos uh, that has ensued. Blessed are those who mourn because that's the people that Jesus gets in the middle of our stuff and deals with our sin and begins putting the pieces back together. Last week, uh, we looked at meek. Uh, blessed are the meek. 
for they will inherit the earth. And what it truly means to be meek and to be submissive to and dependent on God. And then blessed, Jesus says, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if you want two more blessings from Jesus and hear about those, I want to hear you say very loud, very excitedly, very caffeinated, let's go. Man. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, Jesus is looking over the crowd and he keeps going. He's already pronounced four blessings. He's not done yet. He says this, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, those who are full of mercy, those who live a life or have an attitude or propensity towards others to be merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So as we've done the last two weeks, and I'm sure as we'll continue to do, we want to take a moment and just define and describe what in the world it means to be merciful. Uh, The the word mercy, I think, sometimes gets uh, thrown around a fair bit, maybe without having a very precise definition of what mercy is, because mercy and grace are, they're kind of kindred spirits. They're kind of like twins, but they are different. Um, Grace is when you are given a good gift that you didn't deserve or you didn't earn, right? Mercy, it's different. Mercy is when something bad is withheld that you do deserve, okay? They're both good. We both need them. We both want them. Jesus has both of them, but they're very different. And Jesus says in this context, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy, it's uh, it's when we deserve something bad, normally a punishment for something we've done, but that punishment is withheld. Uh, This summer, I uh, had the privilege to preach at a youth camp, uh, which I found I'm not very good at. Um, It's hard talking to youth, it seems like these days. Uh, I think I'm just maybe getting older, but I got to take my daughter with me. Paisley got to travel with me to Dallas to to preach this camp, and I had a great time with her. And we had to leave on a Sunday morning because I had to be in Dallas to preach uh, on Monday. uh, And it was a Sunday here this summer that we were baptizing some folks. We baptized uh, just some incredible people with some cool stories. One of them is a friend of mine that was a Dallas police officer. Uh, and I remember, like, I didn't have enough time even to go home. So I think we left from church. Uh, and I'm just, like, a- efficient. I, I want to be efficient in almost everything, especially when I'm traveling. Uh, I'm just like, there is no time for the bathroom. If we have to stop and get gas, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get gas. And so Paisley, I tried to, like, tell her, like, just no liquids for three days before we leave. Just want to make sure you're clear, we're good, because I want to just get there quickly. And lo and behold, we almost made it to Stanton. If you know where Stanton is, like, you could walk there by lunch. Uh, We almost made it to Stanton, and she says, I I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, you haven't had liquid in three days. How is this possible? And yet she had to go really badly. And so I had just missed the exit, uh, or the exit might have been closed. I'm not sure. But there was, like, an off-ramp that wasn't a a paved off-ramp. It was, like, where 10,000 people had driven through the dirt. I mean, it was defined two ruts exiting the interstate, going straight to this gas station, and my daughter needs to go to the bathroom. I'm a good dad, so I slow down, and I pull over, and I hit the access road, and woo, 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 woo. This this guy, I was about to say punk, that would have been disrespectful. Uh, This guy, it was like he was just waiting, pulls me over, and you know, that just like, I hate that feeling when the lights go on, and you're just like, 
dang it. I, and I, I knew I was guilty because I'm like, that, that wasn't a road. I could make a case that looked like a road and a lot of other people, but apparently I broke a law. And so I'm telling, I'm coaching Paisley, right? Pace, when he gets up here, just smile, like your biggest smile that you have. Uh, ask him how his day is going. Uh, offer him candy. I don't know, whatever you have to do. Because what we need from this guy is what? Mercy, because I had done something and I deserved a, a ticket and I didn't want the ticket because it's been a long time. I've been doing so well the last many years, haven't had a ticket, did not want to do uh, defensive driving. And so I needed mercy and the guy came up and he was so kind and I wanted to tell him, listen, man, I am so pro law enforcement. I love you guys. I baptized a police officer an hour ago. I didn't tell him that. I in hindsight, I probably should have. I'm just like kind of, you know, itching for mercy. And then he just looks at me and smiles and gives me a ticket. So he like, he errs on the side of justice, which is not a bad thing because that's like his job, right? Like mercy, right? I, and I'm, I'm talking some more about this story later on. But like that, that describes just the definition of mercy. Somebody who withholds a punishment that is earned or merited. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I want to read Ephesians. In fact, um, this morning, I'm going to hit quite a few different uh, scriptures, uh, and you're welcome to keep up and flip there in your Bible or get there on your phone. Uh, most of these will be on the screen, and some of them uh, will not. Um, but I just want us to use a lot of different uh, pieces of the, the, the Bible and voices that the Holy Spirit has spoken uh, through over the centuries uh, to kind of help us get a full understanding of what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the merciful. Uh, so, like, we have received both mercy and grace from God through, through Christ, right? Mercy being something bad that we earned withheld. Grace being we've been given a gift that we did not earn and don't deserve. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Uh, and you, talking to Christians in the church in Ephesus, this applies to you if you're a Christian in the church in Midland. You were, past tense, old life, pre-Christ, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, like that's important. Paul says like this was all of our stories. Everybody, if you're a Christian, you have some sort of testimony where uh, sin was ruling and reigning and wreaking havoc and Paul understood what that was like. And so uh, like he would say Christians aren't any better than anybody else, but we have been forgiven and that's very important. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and we carried out the desires of the body and the mind. He's saying well, like we had some, some faulty sinful desires in our flesh that we wanted to do things contrary to God's law, some things in our mind that we wanted to do things contrary to God's law. And he says, all of us, we did them, meaning we were guilty. We had done something that was going to incur a penalty, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath. You don't see that uh, on uh, t-shirts and mugs a whole lot, child of wrath, right? It's a very important thing in the Bible that we need to understand. Paul says, like, all of us, we, we deserve, because of sin, intentions, actions, thoughts, words, deeds, all of that. Because of sin, we, we, were, we deserved 
the wrath of God. And we just sang about this. Like when, when the cross steps in and Jesus absorbs the wrath of God in our place, he says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in what? Try it again. But God being rich in mercy, withholding something that is deserved or earned. But because God is rich, he has a, a, a large account, a lot of mercy dripping from his being because God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. And he goes on to say it's, we didn't earn it. And so like in Christ, we have received both grace and mercy, right? We, we just, it's like, it's like if I were to speed and get pulled over, uh, grace would be, or mercy would be, okay, I, you deserve a ticket. I'm not giving you a ticket. Grace would be, and then he hands me an ice cream cone, right? Like I, something bad was withheld, uh, something good was given. If you're in Christ, you have both. You have, uh, because of God's mercy, he has He's not punishing us the way that we deserve, and yet he's given us Christ. He's given us heaven. He's given us, I mean, you could run through for days and days talking about the blessings of grace that he has given us that we didn't earn, we didn't merit, we don't deserve it. He's just good. He's full of mercy and grace. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So I want to talk about, like, like, walk through for just a moment, like, what is the key to being merciful? If Jesus says, blessed are the, are, are the merciful, like what is the key to actually having a disposition of mercy where Jesus would describe you as merciful? Because not everybody is merciful. You know that as well as I do. There was plenty of people in Jesus's day that were not merciful and he was very frustrated with them. Uh, religious people are the worst. Uh, when I say religious people, I don't mean just somebody that follows a religion. I mean, uh, I should probably use the term self-righteous people, uh, which there's a little bit of that in all of us. Uh, but like just self-righteous people, Jesus uh, would call them religious. And in, in his day, it was a group called the Pharisees uh, most of the time. Uh, they didn't think they were that bad. Uh, they didn't think that they were sinners. They didn't think that they deserved any punishment from God. And so they Therefore, they didn't believe they needed the mercy of God. And if you don't have mercy from God, you rarely have mercy for other people. Let me read to you a few things that Jesus said about these very religious, very self-righteous people that saw everybody else's sins, had no patience, no forgiveness, no mercy for them because they thought they were so good. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says this, or Matthew describes this interaction this way. When the Pharisees... They had a lot of biblical knowledge, um, yet they were very self-righteous. They didn't think their sin put them in danger with God, so therefore they didn't think they needed to repent, and they didn't think they needed God's mercy. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So they thought, we're in the... The, like the godly, good, righteous category, and there's some really broken, sinful people over there, and I can't believe that Jesus would hang out with them. 
That's, that's what's going on. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well, they have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He talks to the same group of people towards the end of his ministry in Matthew 23, and he cranks it up a notch. He says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And there's an exclamation point in my Bible. When Jesus is preaching this day, he's fired up, and he's frustrated because the, the religious people were not people of mercy. This is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin. Some of y'all are like, that is a strange chili recipe. Mint, dill, cumin. What he's saying is like, like they were so legalistic on things external that they would tithe everything, even down to the things in their spice cabinet. They would take out a tenth of those things, bring it in. And so like they were kind of checking all the, all the external things uh, off the list. He's like, you did all that, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He was very, very frustrated, angry, because these people did not, they were not full of mercy. I think maybe they were listening to, maybe they read, you know, Matthew 5, and they listened to the Sermon on the Mount, and they got a few words confused, and they, instead of being poor in spirit, they're like, blessed are the poor in mercy, because that's what they were. They were very poor in mercy. Jesus is very frustrated. So what's the difference between a, a religious, self-righteous person that has no mercy for other people and someone who Jesus would say is blessed because they're merciful? Like, what makes the difference? If you, if you really spend some time studying the, the Pharisees and their attitude towards God, their attitude towards the law, and their view of themselves, then you find the key towards being merciful. The problem with the Pharisees is that they thought they were very good, and they thought their righteousness or their right standing came from themselves, right? That's what self-righteousness means. And if we think our right standing before God comes from us then we don't think we deserved hell. We don't think we were under wrath. And therefore, we don't think God really needs to have much mercy on us because we're kind of good people. And how that works itself out is that, well, I'm, I'm good. I've kind of earned my way up. And, and so you should be able to. And so if we don't feel like we've ever truly needed the mercy of God, we won't have any to give anyone else. Are y'all with me? Like that's the main difference. It's like where we see our righteousness coming from. Because on the flip side, if somebody truly believes what the Bible says about our condition before Jesus, that we were children of wrath, that there were such strong desires that we couldn't control that caused us to be sinners, we're sinners by nature, like something in us, we're sinners by choice because we chose, and we were under the wrath of God, and yet God, being rich in mercy, decided to withhold something from us that we earn. Like, unless you truly believe that you're not going to have a real deep reservoir of mercy for other people. The key to being a merciful person is having truly received mercy. If you struggle, and this is for all of us, like if we struggle to have patience with someone when they sin against us, chances are 
we've kind of, there's a disconnect between how patient we think God has to be with us, right? If you struggle to forgive, and most of us to some level we do, like there's a a disconnect between remembering how much God has forgiven us. And so like the the, the pathway to being a merciful person is having tasted and, 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 and felt and embraced the mercy of God because that has a way of changing us. Um, you don't have to turn there, but uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of the unforgiving servant and, servant. and we actually preached it. I said unforgiving sermon. You're like, yep, been in a few of those before. Uh, unforgiving servant. Uh, th- there's a guy who had a massive debt, Jesus says 10,000 talents, which let's just say was millions and millions of dollars. And uh, in the parable, the master forgives the debt. He has mercy on him, just just forgives it. And then the guy walks out and and one of his servants owed him a hundred denarii, let's say $20. And he gets so angry that he demands payment. He throws the guy in jail. And then the the, the slave master over um, the one who was, forgiven a lot, gets very frustrated and very angry. And here's the moral of the story, that G- how Jesus sums up this story. He says, then the master summoned him and he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? See, Jesus teaches through this parable in Matthew 18 that the key to being merciful is first understanding and appreciating and embracing the mercy of God towards us. If you struggle to to be like what Jesus is saying, he says, blessed are the merciful, and you're going to find a time in your marriage, in your friendships with your coworkers, that somebody has sinned against you. They've done something wrong against you, and you're going to want justice, right? You're going to struggle to be a person of mercy. Then what's the antidote? To think, I mean, it's, it's simple. It's the antidote to most things. Uh, to, to think about the gospel. Like, to, to think about God's mercy towards you, God's patience towards you, God's forgiveness towards you. I think one of the most fundamental differences between religious, self-righteous people and true, humble followers of Jesus is the dispensation of mercy the willingness and the ability to give someone mercy when they haven't deserved it. And the way that we become those kind of people is by understanding and appreciating the mercy that God has given us. I don't know if you would agree with this. My guess is that you probably would. Um, But most of us, if we're truly honest, uh, we want justice uh, for other people and mercy for ourselves, right? We want justice for uh, if somebody has broken the law, if they have stolen something from us, if they have hurt us, if there's a, a bully at school that's after your kids, uh, we want justice. And then we can do the exact same thing, but what do we want for ourselves? No, like we just don't want justice for ourselves. We're like, I'm here, I just want you to give me what I deserve. You get pulled over by the cop, you're know, like, just give it to me. You know, I deserve it. Give me a couple because I was speeding when you weren't even around. Like, it, it's so strange how, how, how kind of incongruent and inconsistent we can be to struggle to give the very thing that we want others to give us. 
I had my truck stolen a few years ago when we lived in Dallas, just got home on a Saturday and it was gone. I remember asking Hannah, like, where did I put it? <laughs> Not many places, the driveway, garage, it just wasn't there. It was gone. And my first reaction wasn't, I hope that guy gets mercy. I'm like, I want to find that guy and I want justice and I want a new truck. And I didn't get it. I got my old truck back messed up. Like the, the more we understand, embrace, and are changed by the gospel, the less distance there is between what we want for ourselves and what we're willing to give others. Those who have received the mercy of God just have an endless reservoir of mercy for other people. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says. He keeps going. Verse 8, the second blessed for today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, I agree with uh, most commentators that I've read on this think that Jesus is giving a shout out uh, to the Old Testament to uh, Psalm chapter 24, uh, which Jesus does this. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of Psalms that kind of pop up in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes where Jesus is really kind of reaching back and expressing something that was written in the Old Testament. But I, I think Jesus is saying when he says, Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. He is referencing us back to Psalm 24. Let me read a little bit of it for you. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? This is kind of a metaphor for saying, like, God's built a place, and who gets to be there? And who gets an open invitation? Who gets a ticket? Who gets access to be there with him? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and he will receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. It's like the, the, the psalmist is saying, who can ascend the hill? Who can get access to be with God? You, you can only get there if you have clean hands and a pure heart. And so Jesus says, blessed are the pure and also then the, the question it begs is, well, then how do you get a clean heart? Because, like, listen, this isn't wildly popular either. You're not going to find these next verses on mugs or T-shirts, but very important for us to know. The, the Bible paints a very bleak picture of our hearts before Jesus, okay? Y'all ready for this? You came because you wanted the truth. Here it is. I'm going to read a little bit of it. Like, just the, the couple pages into your Bible, you get to Genesis chapter 6, and this is what happens. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He's like, this is not good. Something that's deep down in their core kind of the, the, the wellspring of their being. That's what the Bible refers to as our heart, this innermost place where everything else flows from. He's like, it's just bad. The intentions in there are bad. In fact, so bad, it floods the earth. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this. Many of y'all know this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, 
If you've ever had an evil thought, Jesus says because there's something wrong with our heart, we have a spiritual heart condition. From out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, any type of sexual sin outside of a husband and a wife in a marriage covenant together has has been birthed out of a, a brokenness in our hearts. Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Basically, everything wrong in the world, you could put it in that list somewhere. Jesus says, like, the, the problem with the planet is, is the heart of man. There's something deeply broken. And so, like, that's bad news, right? If that's true, if there's something so deeply wrong in the heart of man, and it's like, well, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? Only those who have clean hands and, and a pure heart. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Like, how do we get there if it's so bad? And so, like, there's kind of a way in which you could read this and think, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to purify my heart. And let me just show you that, like, that's not the way of, of the gospel. Like, the way of the gospel is, and this has been Old Testament and New Testament. This is the promise of the gospel, that we get a pure heart, not by purifying it ourselves or trying to fix our problem, but by God purifying our hearts for us. And really, what what I'm going to read to you from Ezekiel is he's just going to take out our old heart that's broken and defective and put a brand new one in us. Because what the gospel has promised us in Christ is not just salvation in you know in heaven with Jesus forever it's inner transformation where we get we get a new heart that's that's pure and has has pure motives and pure desires and it wants to seek God and that's a gift um, that God gives us listen to Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 17 Old Testament prophet Ezekiel says this, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will, this is a promise, this is really a a new covenant promise, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come here, they will remove from it all the detestable things and all its abominations and I will give them one heart And a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Did you see that? Like that connection is so important. He says, I will give them a new heart that they may keep my statutes. Like like the new heart comes first. The pure heart comes first as a gift from God. And then the, the new life and the new actions flow from that. I'll give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Listen to Psalm 51. Uh, We we talked about this a few weeks ago, I believe. Uh, This is David after he committed this uh, pretty horrible sin with Bathsheba and he is walking through this repentance is in his own heart and he recognizes that even that misstep and that sin that caused all sorts of problems. He recognized that that came from a place in his heart. And so he says this. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to try harder this time. I'm going to do better. You just wait and see. He says, create in me a what? A clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So who has a pure heart and how do you get it? It's a gift that God gives 
those who come to him. He, he, he removes the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, gives us a brand new purified heart. And Jesus says, like, if that's you, you've got a new heart. You've got a pure heart, not because of your actions, but because of what he's done for you, in you. Blessed. Like, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. <laughs> this is what... Psalm 24 is talking about, like, who gets to see, who gets to, I don't think this is metaphorical at all. I think this is very literal. Who gets to see God and spend eternity with him? Only those who have a pure heart. And if that's you, you're going to be with him forever. You're going to see the face of God. Why? Because you're blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If God has purified your heart, not only are you blessed, but you will literally get to see the face of God in the face of Christ forever and ever. Blessed are the poor in heart. I want to I close this way. I want to back up to the, the police officer that pulled me over. God bless him. I, I wanted mercy, right? I, I, I wanted him to just acknowledge I'd done something wrong and look at my eyes and look at my sweet daughter and just say, you know what? I want to be merciful today and let you off. But my guess is that uh, he probably would have had some type of inner struggle because mercy's not his job, right? If he would have given mercy, that means he would not have given justice. And we want a, a world where there's justice, don't we? We want justice. We want, like, evil can't just be, be parading itself uh, in our culture. If, if somebody does evil acts, like, they, they need to be punished. Justice has to be served, or none of us would want to live in a society where anybody could do whatever they want to whoever they want, and there was no punishment. We want, uh, like, justice. And so the problem is, like, for us, and as a parent, you, you probably have felt this where like sometimes you struggle, like, is this a moment where I want to have grace for my kids or do I want to teach them that what they've done is wrong and there need to be consequences? Anybody ever kind of struggle with that? Because you can't do both. Like in some situation, if they do something like, no, this is a, this is a teachable moment and I need to enforce the law and give some type of discipline where they know like there needs to be justice so they learn their lesson so they don't do this worse in the future. And if you do that, then there's no grace. But if you just offer them grace or offer them mercy, like I know you did this, but this time, because I love you, I'm just I'm gonna extend grace and mercy, th then you're not you're not enacting justice. Are y'all with me? So the here here's the here's the big rub, here's the big challenge. If God in his character is a God of justice, and you, you want God to be a God of justice. We, we, need, we, tr we truly need God to be a God of justice, to punish wickedness and to punish evil, or there is no peace. Like, if he is just, and yet he says he is merciful, and he is gracious, how in the world can all of those things coexist and he be true to his character? And the way that all of those things collide is at the cross, like truly at the cross, the full expression of God's character is, is given. Like we, we sin and therefore we are, are children of wrath. We've incurred the wrath of God justly and God is just. And he can't just say, you know what? Never mind. 
it's okay. He can't, he can't just extend mercy, so what does he do? He offers a substitute in our place. When Jesus steps on the cross, he absorbs the full wrath or the justice being worked out of God's character so that on the cross, God's righteous demands of justice are fully met. He is consistent to his character. He is who he says he is. And yet at the same time, he's extending grace to us, a free gift that's absolutely unearned and unmerited. And he he extends mercy. He withholds a punishment. Like for those who are under the cross, like truly Again, this is, this is Bible Belt, right? This is, a, this is a dangerous place to live because you can kind of have some of the language of being a Christian and you can know some of the terms and have been in the right places and among the right people and yet not in your heart, you tr- have not truly embraced Jesus as your Savior. You haven't confessed and repented of your sin to him, put your faith in him as a Savior That's what you need to do because when you truly do that, you truly have a salvation moment in your heart where you repent and believe, then you are under the cross. And what you get is the the full character of God coming at the cross. Jesus absorbs the wrath. And so what drips down and falls down on us is the grace and the mercy of God. And what does that do to us? It makes us more gracious and merciful people because you can't give what you haven't received. And so at the cross, Jesus, God, God doesn't let go of any piece of his character. He's true to all of it. That's why the cross is so brilliant and so unexpected that God's full character was expressed, and somehow because of Christ, we are the beneficiaries of all of the goodness, of the grace and the mercy. And so truly, this morning, I want to invite you to think about in your own heart, have you embraced Jesus as your Savior? Have you confessed your need to him? Have you repented, turned from your sin, put your faith in him, come to him very, very poor of spirit? very meek, needy, asking him to change you and to save you and received his mercy and received his grace. If not, today is the day of salvation. Embrace Christ as your Savior. And if you have, as we meditate on the gospel and the mercy that we receive, we have a supply for other people. Somebody's going to hurt you this week. Somebody's going to hurt you today. You're going to have mercy for them because of God's great mercy towards us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, we love you because you first loved us. Father, I pray that in a very real way this morning, each one of us would truly understand your mercy. Father, woe to us if we think we're just not that bad, and surely those difficult verses must be talking about someone else that's worse than us. May you give us the clarity of mind to see the depth of our own sin and the depth of your mercy towards us. God, I pray that that would create such a reservoir of mercy in us that um, people would see us as people of mercy. 
I thank you for all of the gifts and the kindness that you've showed us in Christ. Jesus, thank you for enduring the wrath of God in our place so that we don't have to. Father, we love you, and I pray in these next few moments as we lift up our voices, God, that you would be worshiped and honored and that you would minister to and bless your people. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.